Our second reading for today comes to us from the book of Judges, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them into the king Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harashoth HaGoim. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take position at Mount Tabor. Bring 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 warriors went up behind him. And Deborah went up with him. Now Hebar the Kenite had separated from the other Kenites, that is, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had camped as far away as Elan Bazananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinom, had gone up Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the troops who were with him, from Peresh HaGoim to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day on which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. The Lord is indeed going out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 warriors following him. And the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and all his army into a panic before Barak. Sisera got down from his chariots and fled away on foot. When Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Hesharam HaGoim, all the army of Sisera fell by the sword. No one was left. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we have come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. This past Friday, Heather and I found ourselves with a rare day off together. This doesn't happen very often except for Saturdays when we usually have a a four-year-old tagging along with us and 
We uh, try to entertain her and pick thing, events and family activities that she's going to enjoy, which aren't always the ones that we might enjoy as much. You can only take so much Paw Patrol or Thomas the Train. So we had this day off together while Hannah was in daycare, and we decided to do fabulously fun things like go grocery shopping and go out to lunch and even going to Target. But we also managed to fit in a trip to the movies, and we saw Wonder Woman. And if you've not seen it yet, it's it's incredible. And it's been making all sorts of news for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, DC is a comic company, and they've released several movies recently, Batman versus Superman, uh, Suicide Squad, um, Superman Lives or Superman Returns. I can't remember what the Superman movie was called. And they all weren't that great. They, they weren't competing with Marvel. They were making a lot of money, but they weren't critically acclaimed. And Wonder Woman is such a fun, great movie. And it's also made news because it's the first female superhero to have her own movie in years. And more than that, it's the first female superhero directed by a female director. And it made money. It's made over $100 million its first weekend. It is, by all accounts, a major success. And this is giving people hope. Maybe they'll want to make more female superheroes. Maybe this will encourage more female directors to get into the the superhero genre. It seems so often in society we sell women short. It really shouldn't be news that there's a female superhero directed by a female director. We should just take it for granted that there always there have been and there will be. I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the church and how there are still Christian denominations out there that preach that women should not be in roles of leadership. Women should not speak in church, that women have no place in the authority of the church. And I think about all the churches that I've been a part of in high school, in college, when Heather and I were first married, uh, during my time in, in ministry. And without women, these churches would collapse. I mean, look around this congregation and, and take away all the women, and, and it's, it's a very small crowd. This is the first board that I've ever worked with that has had more men than women. But if you take away all the women working behind the scenes, you have no choir, you have no seed, you have no art and music camp. You have, I mean, so many of our programs are gone. Women are so important to the ministry to society, it it boggles my mind that people still think that men and women are not equal. When I was looking at the, the what to do for a summer sermon series, I looked at the schedule and I'm like, okay, I'm gone this week, then we have church on the park, and then the mission trip, and then we've got the Sunday. We talk about, and it's like very spotty. It's very hard to plan out a thematic uh, summer sermon series. So I decided to do one that's more episodic, one where each sermon stands on its own and they have a common theme. And I thought, what about women of the Bible? And I thought, well, that's what we need. We need another sermon on Mary. This isn't Christmas. That's crazy. So I thought, what about the obscure women of the Bible? 
The women that we might not talk about, that we might not hear about. We're not going to have Ruth or Esther or Jezebel or Mary or Elizabeth. But instead we're going to have some nameless women. Some women we might not think about. Some women that might not come readily to mind. And so that's what we're going to be discussing each week during the sermon is these obscure women and what we can learn from them. And we're starting today by talking about Deborah. Now, there are actually two Deborahs in the Bible. The first was a handmaiden in the book of Genesis. And there's hardly anything about her. And that was just a little too obscure to write a sermon on. The second Deborah is mentioned in the book of Judges. Now, in Israel, the time of Judges followed the time of Kings. After David and his line died out. They didn't, Israel didn't know what to do for rulers, and there was no king to inherit. So they went to a system of judges, and judges ruled over Israel. And it was not a coherent political system. Many scholars have compared it to the wild, wild west. And there were a series of judges, and Deborah was one of them. In fact, Deborah was the only female judge. She was the only one of them who was a woman. And this is amazing because at the time, women were taught to be subservient to men. Women were almost property. Yet here is a woman rising to be ruler over Israel. And she was more than just a judge. She was a prophetess. She was a ruler She was a warrior. People came to her for wisdom. She spoke with the word of God. In later verses, she would be called the mother of all Israel. Not because she had a lot of children. Scripture doesn't tell us if she had any. But because all Israel looked to her for guidance. During her rule, Israel had been oppressed for Canaan for 20 years They had this foreign power looming over them, keeping their foot on their necks, threatening their very existence. And finally, God called Deborah to do something about it. Sisera, the general for Canaan, had an army of 100,000 people, had 900 steel chariots. This was a force to be feared, a force that Israel could not compete with. Yet that's what God called Deborah to do. So she reached out to the most renowned general, Barak, and said, God has called me to go against Sisera. If you come with me, God will bring Sisera to us. And Barak said, I don't know about that. Have you heard how big his army is? How many chariots he has? And Deborah said, but God will give us victory. And finally, Barak said, well, if you're going, I'll go. But without you, I will not go. And Deborah said, of course I'm going. I'm going to lead you. I'm going into battle beside you. Together, we will defeat Sisera. And that is exactly what happened. They worked together and they defeated the Canaanite army. This small troop gathering of 10,000 soldiers beat an army ten times as big. 
But no doubt they were afraid. No doubt they were unsure. It was only under Deborah's guidance and Barak's leadership that they were able to do it. And what really struck me from this is that both Deborah and Barak had roles to play. Barak led the armies and Deborah was the strategist. She gave Barak his commands and he rallied the troops. And only by working together, only through their partnership, were they able to defeat the army. It's no wonder Barak said, if you don't go, I'm not going. But if you go, I will go with you. Because without her, he couldn't have done it. And without him, she couldn't have defeated defeated Sisera. And we see that between them, there was a high degree of trust that they left each other to play the role that they were supposed to play that they did not second guess each other and probably most importantly and most difficult is they did not try to protect their own ego Deborah said to Sisera you lead the army but you will not get the glory Sisera will fall in the hands of a woman. The glory won't be yours. And Brock said, well, God's will will be done. If we continued reading in the next chapter, there is a song of victory written. And it's sung by both Deborah and Barak. But if you read the ancient Greek The verbs for sing are in singular person, female form. And most scholars think that it was originally a song of victory by Deborah and Barak was later written in by someone that couldn't handle this victory and this glory going just to a woman. To work together to win, they had to be able to lay their egos on the ground. They had to not worry about who got credit, who got glory, but just that the job got done. And I think that's what the church can learn from Deborah. That we have to work together. That we have each have a role to play. Last Sunday was Pentecost, and we talked about God giving gifts, about the tongues of flame and the whoosh of the wind. And as I told the kids, we're all given different gifts some of us are given gifts where we're seen very publicly and some of us work in the background behind the scenes some of us are doers some of us are thinkers some of us are organizers but it takes each of us working together to make this happen when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth he saw dysfunction in the church Because everyone wanted to be the boss. Everyone wanted to be in charge. Everyone wanted to play a certain role. And he said, the church is like a body. And we all have a function to play. And it takes all of us together. The ear can't be upset because it's not the eye and say, well, I'm not a part of the body anymore. The hand cannot get upset because it's not a foot. For a body to be fully functional, we need mouths, eyes, ears, hands, feet. We need all the parts working together. 
You've heard someone describe, who's clumsy described as all thumbs. That gives you an idea of what happened when a body part is repeated time and again. It's been said and joked many times in board meetings that Roy could connect anything to baseball. And by the chuckles, we all know it's true. And I feel like I could connect almost anything to football. And I was thinking about a football team. Because I was reading an article about how great the Tennessee Titans are going to be this year. (laughs) Because they're gelling so well and they're all learning their roles. And there's been a lot of highlight uh, on the offensive linemen because they've been at all the the Nashville Predator games and they've been cheering for the team and they've been excited and they've been out publicly having fun. And what would an NFL offense be without an offensive line? Without the five big burly guys that block the defenders from just creaming the quarterback, from getting to the running back, that gives the quarterback time to throw to the wide receivers. Can you imagine an NFL offense with 11 quarterbacks on the field or 11 wide receivers or 11 offensive linemen? It wouldn't work. Everyone has to play their role. Everyone has to work together. Everyone has to take their gifts and what they're good at and put them to use because we are all working for the same goal. We're all working to glorify God, to proclaim Jesus Christ as our Savior, to further the kingdom of God here on earth. And to do that, we need to look to Deborah. We need to have a high degree of trust in each other. We have to recognize that we all have a different role to play. We need to not second guess each other. To work behind each other's backs. To let our parking lot committees get what's really done happening. But above all, we need to be able to lay our egos at the ground. To not worry about applause, to not worry about getting credit, to not worry about getting glory for ourselves. Because ultimately, we're trying to get glory for God. When I've preached on this Corinthian text in the past, a couple times, once in my internship and once in Illinois, To illustrate how we all need to work together, I went out and I bought a puzzle and Ziploc bags and I stapled a puzzle piece to each bulletin. And I had everyone pull out their puzzle piece and try to match it with their neighbor. And sometimes it would fit and sometimes it wouldn't. I'd say, you might not fit perfectly with your neighbor, but you fit perfectly with someone here. And it takes all the pieces here to complete the picture. And I thought about doing that today. You can even tell by the the bulletin cover and the, the missing puzzle piece that that thought was on my mind. But then I realized that's not a good illustration for the church. Because a puzzle has a finite end. A puzzle has the edges that stops it. The church has no end. The church's potential has no boundaries. 
The kingdom of God could go on and on and on. Our reach could be from here to the ends of the earth. There are no edges to hem us in. We could keep adding on and on to the puzzle. Instead, I thought about a a game that Hannah found at the library. It was a caterpillar where you put a gear for its head, then you put a gear for the second part of her body, and the third part, and the fourth part. And you turn one gear, and the rest of them turn. And if you took the second gear, you took the third gear, you took any of the gears out, none of the rest of the gears would turn. And you could add gears on and on and on. But you needed all the gears working together. And I felt that was a more apt imagery for church. Because we could add on and on to our church. Our ministry could extend beyond these walls, beyond our community, beyond our state. Our ministry could be worldwide. We could further the kingdom for here to forever. But we have to work together. We have to use our gifts. We have to fill our roles. We have to trust in each other. We have to be able to lay our egos at our feet. We have to look for Deborah and Barack and the inspiration we gather from them. And work together because we're all on the same team. And we're all seeking to glorify God and further God's kingdom. Amen.